Hey, what it do world? Welcome to the Market Banter Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dion Rabowen. I'm a financial markets journalist. I write the Axios Markets newsletter. And with me is the man, the myth, the legend, New York City comedian, Dan Enfield. He's, he's keeping it real, keeping it 100, and, uh, and asking the tough questions that, you know, lots of people might feel like they're too smart to ask. But Dan's going to get in there and just ask, what's really I, going I, on? I never have a fear. Of, oh, what's going on, Dan? I never have a fear of looking too smart, ever. That's, that's probably never been a fear ever. <laughs> I've never had one. Yeah, well, you know, this is this is a uh, this is the people's financial show, right. and so we got you on here to keep people honest. Lots of people like to use lots of flowery words and jargon and all this, you know, insider tech speak or insider market speak, and and you just kind of cut through it like, no, what is that? Right. What does that mean? Exactly. I mean, I feel you know that's half the show is like reining these people in. You know, you're just like, hey, yeah. you know, start from scratch, explain it basically. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and then away we go. You know, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of like I've been indoctrinated by a lot of financial speak. So it's like people say things and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK. Right. And then but I'm sure there's lots of our listeners who are like, wait, what? Yeah, you're like you're like desensitized to it at this point, you know? Yeah, right. I am. I am. So it's good. That's why we got you on here. We got a little bit of the yang, a little bit of the yang. Um, right. And that's what makes Market Banter the best financial podcast anywhere in the world. Uh, and the People's Financial Podcast, right, Dan? Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of like that Cat Williams bit about Michael Jackson. Remember that from his first special when Michael Jackson's like climbing trees and he's like, don't you climb trees or something like that? And it was just really, it was great. Like, <laughs> don't you know what SPACs are? This... You don't know about SPACs? You know, like, it's like you feel like, the, you know, like no, I, I actually don't. You know, so. I feel like this is nothing like that. Bit, nothing like that. I, I get your man. point. Your yeah. point is taken. They can't all be winners. Uh, so, look, we... We, we got a great show. We got uh, Sylvia Jablonski. She is, uh, she's from Defiance ETF. She's going to be dropping knowledge on us about the next generation of ETFs, uh, what's going on in the world there, and how, you know, some folks can get involved in 5G and SPACs. You know, maybe you don't have $100 million if you broke or something, you know. And so you can't directly invest in these SPACs. Sylvia Jablonski, she is the chief investment officer of Defiance ETFs. She's going to break down what they're doing, how they're getting uh, people the opportunity to invest in things like 5G uh, and things like biotech and uh, some of these early stage SPAC companies, which uh, we're going to get into with her. So that was a really great interview that you'll see coming up here in just a minute. Uh, but. We also were going to talk a little bit about crypto. We're going to make Dan and I are going to make our predictions for 2021. So you want to stay in, stay tuned for that. Um, but before we get into this interview with Sylvia, I thought Dan, you and I could talk a little bit about ETFs because I know it's something that I I always try to tell people: you got to invest in ETFs. You got to get this ETF or that ETF. Because um, I've been, you know, over the holidays recommending stuff for my family because they're all like, Dion, what should we put our money in? And I don't ever offer people investment advice. Like, I'll never tell you buy this stock or don't buy this stock or like buy this. But I tell them like index funds and ETFs. And you were saying, Dan, you had some questions about that. Yeah, I just I still don't really fully understand them. And basically it's like and I think I asked this to our guests that you'll see later in the show. But like it just seems very convoluted to me. And she was a great guest, obviously. And I'm, I'm excited for her uh, for her interview. And I really enjoyed it. But I, I still feel like. Like I was told a long time ago, if you don't fully understand something, don't invest in it. And I just feel like yeah. basically 
it's convoluted maybe on Dan, you have a you have a guess. Oh, I have a guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the uh, new market analyst right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were you were saying yeah. if you don't understand, if something. I don't fully understand something, like don't invest in it. And I almost kind of like the skeptic in me thinks much like crypto, keep it complicated on purpose so that people don't really understand what it is. And therefore, it's mm. when when the returns maybe aren't there in a few months. Oh, it's because you know A, B, and C. Whereas I like things a lot more black and white. Like, hey, you invest in this company. If they make money, you make money. If they don't, you don't. Whereas, like, you know, different buckets and algorithms. And yeah. I'm just, I'm very skeptical <laughs> of all that stuff. You know. Yeah. So, all right. To to just keep it simple, ETFs. Like, um, like our our guest is gonna break it down. But I'll just I'll take it even a step further than what she was saying. Um, ETFs are just basically a way to invest in a bunch of different stuff. So you remember like old school mutual funds, some fund manager would say like, oh, I pick this stock and that stock and maybe a little bonds or a little, you know, a little of this here. Right. And you would pay this, you know, you would pay a fee of like one, one and a half, two percent, whatever it was of your your fund or of your your money, basically your investment in order for you to invest in the stocks that this guy, you know, some Wall Street genius thought was going to be the next big thing. It was going to make you a lot of money, right? Right. So you didn't have to go out and pick like 20 different stocks. You would say, this guy, this guy is really smart. He's a fund manager. He makes lots of money. I'm going to let him pick the stocks. And I'm just going to put money in his mutual fund, right? Right. That was like the old way of doing things. Right. So an ETF is just that same kind of concept, except generally speaking, there's not some rich guy picking the stocks for you. It's just like everything that's in the S&P 500. And so there's an S&P 500 ETF or every stock that's in the NASDAQ or, you know, uh, Vanguard's got like a, uh, a total market uh, index. It's the Vanguard total market index. I think it's called VTI. And it just invests in like as many stocks as they can. And there's lots of ETFs that just invest in like, different strategies. So you've got like, if you want to invest in the S&P tech sector, there's an ETF for that. If you want to invest in gold, there's an ETF that follows the price of gold up and down, one for silver. So it's basically just a way, if you like, if you don't want to go buy all these different stocks, or if you don't want to go buy gold or silver or, or whatever it happens to be, you can buy an ETF and it tracks the movement of the asset. And then you get rewarded as if you'd bought in. So what Sylvia and Defiance are doing is they're basically giving you access to a lot of these different SPAC names. A lot of the companies that have come out with SPACs and a lot of the SPACs that are out there. Um, so you don't have to go find them and find which ones they are and, and invest in a bunch of different companies. You just buy their SPAC ETF. Same thing with 5G. You just buy their 5G ETF. So Sylvia is going to talk a lot more about that. But that's the basic breakdown of what an ETF is. Do you, does that make sense? I think, I think so. It's still a little convoluted to me. I'm not sure why it's harder for me to get, but yeah, that's the, the basic gist of it is there. What's, so what's still convoluted for you? Like basically like, so are you in, but are you investing in one, it's not one specific company that you're investing in. It's, it's a, a fund. No, it's a bunch of companies. It's a bunch of companies. So like, I guess, how do they distribute the money to the return? I, I guess is that, that's where I'm on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like because like, like, well, basically, like, like with, it, with a mutual fund, it's going to be several stocks that you're going to buy individual shares of that all go together. No, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing with an ETF, except that like in some, it's just weighted. That's why I was asking her, how do you choose? Like, do you guys choose, or is there an algorithm that choose? 
that chooses and she was saying it's kind of a combination they pick kind of the the walls or the uh, the limits of what can be picked and then the algorithm just goes out and finds all the possible stocks and then i assume it invests in them based on like okay um this stock based on its size is three percent of the market and this stock based on its size is two percent and then invest accordingly okay i think that's making a little but it's it can yeah it can get really detailed anyway let's get to sylvia Uh, and she's going to break it down a lot more smartly than I could. Uh, Sylvia Jablonski, she is the CIO as the Chief Investment Officer of Defiance ETFs. And she's going to tell us all about what Defiance is doing and and what's going on with the future of ETFs. There you go. Let's talk SPACs. Let's talk <laughs> ETFs. Um, what is your specialty? And can you talk a little bit about how you put these things together and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So Defiance ETFs is an ETF provider, and our specialty is pretty much bringing products to the market that allow investors to invest in, you know, the next generation of of sectors. So what that means is, you know, the classic stuff that financial advisors invest in and have done well with over the years that our, you know, grandparents and parents are looking at, like classic communications technology. Um, you know, broad-based S&P 500, things like that are, are, are great asset allocation tools, but, you know, what's next? What's coming in the next 10 years? So we try to look at disruptive technologies, uh, you know, some of the hot themes and disruptors out there in the various sectors that the next generation wants to invest in. So, you know, with that, we've launched products like SPAC, which give you access to all of the liquid SPACs out in the marketplace. Mm. So the pre-SPAC IPOs and then the post-SPAC launches, as well as things like 5G, which give you access to the next generation of communications. So, you know, think of like old school communication sector gives you Facebook and Google, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like investing in the S&P. And we think like, you know, what about Skyworks and Xilinx and Ericsson and Nokia and these companies that are bringing 5G to uh, to be a reality into into our world and essentially progressing technology. So we try to give you access to that stuff. Right, right. And I want to talk about SPAC. That's S-P-A-K is the ETF. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, because I think a lot of people that's think right. SPAC, S-P-A-C, which is the acronym, but your your ETF is S-P-A-K. Um, and you said you give folks access to pre-IPO and post-IPO SPAC. How does that work? Right. So how does that work? So, that, you know, they have to be obviously listed companies. Um, so here's an example. So Social Capital is one of the biggest investors or was one of the biggest investors in bringing Virgin Galactic to the market. So our index has both Virgin Galactic and Social Capital within it. Um, so you have like, you know, Goldman, Pershing Square, basically all of these major companies and investors that, that you can think of out there, you know, major hedge funds and banks and stuff are creating these blank check companies. Right. And the goal is for those companies to do an acquisition within two years. So, you know, they're investing in things like the healthcare spe- space, gaming, gambling, you know, DraftKings is an example of a name in the index, Clarivate. Um, Fisker's in there, you know, so, and then like the Goldman and the social capital are the blank check companies that, that invested in, in, Um, in those and brought them public. So it's a really good way to get access to IPOs basically. And and here's what I don't really understand. I mean, just because I, you know, I'm definitely a novice at all this. How exactly does it work? So if someone gives you guys a million bucks, let's say into an ETF, you decide where that money goes to individual, I guess, assets or, or 
Like, how does it get distributed and how do you make money back? Is I don't, that's what I've never understood about this. Yeah, that's a great question. So an ETF is just a wrapper. So our, our ETF SPAC, SPAK, essentially tracks an index and that index is rules-based. Um, it, you know, it has certain rules in terms of like when it rebalances and what the requirements are for the stocks to be in the index. So, you know, our index basically looks at pre-IPO and post-IPO SPACs. And it's essentially, you know, rules based. We're not actively managing it. We hold these names for a period of time until the rebalance. And what we do is we just scour the market uh, for all of the most liquid SPAC names and, and you know, the pre-IPO bank so, check companies. Wait, so Sylvia, real quick. create this methodology. Is it, is it just like you guys pick them out individually? Is there an algorithm? How do you decide? Yeah, the, it, Right. So so we basically create this this index that has a specific methodology and all of the constraints and components of the, of the index are are looked at when we look at the universe of SPACs and, you know, sort of whichever names fit the liquidity measures and fit the, um, you know, the rules that we've set forth, they get screened. And then this 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 list of stocks gets picked and then we essentially list the ETF, which later invests in that index. So ETFs are just wrappers, right? They just invest in a series of companies that an ETF issuer deems to be, you know, a particular theme or sector that they're giving clients and investors access to. And instead of buying, so for example, like that million dollars um, that, that you talked about earlier, instead of going out and buying like, you know, 50 or 60 names with your million dollars and figuring out like how and where to allocate that money, you just buy one ETF SPAC yeah. and it gives you access to those those names. So it's just it's just efficiency in trading baskets. Right. And obviously a lot of companies are coming to market via these SPACs. Um, when you talk about your pre-IPO and your post-IPO, right, because you said it's got a number of those names like, uh, you know, the Goldman, your Pershing Squares, et cetera, who are involved in the SPACing. Um, are you getting into these companies in, in, the, in the expectation that they're going to bring another new SPACs to the market? Or is it just that they have a history of doing this? So, so it's sort of both. I mean, you're looking at those names because they tend to be, you know, the most successful and well-known management groups that have funded SPACs in the past or have funded even IPOs in the past in the case of Goldman. So you're really investing in like that management team. You sort of know that they have this willingness to provide liquidity to the, um, you know, to the company and, and, yeah. and really try to help them have a successful IPO type of listing without all the headaches of the IPO and the roadshow yeah. and all that okay. stuff. So it's, so, it's both. Um, it's both. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely both. So it's like history of success and it's the team. Right. Um, you know, and you've got all these interesting SPACs out there. You've got yeah. like Michael Jordan doing SPACs. You've got, you know, JD's, yeah. Jay-Z doing SPACs and all that stuff too. So it's just, it's, it's a good, it's a good story. Everybody is getting into SPACs. That's the other thing though. I mean, isn't there some worry that SPACs are hot right now, but you know, in a couple of years, maybe a couple of them bomb and then everyone's like, oh wow, maybe we shouldn't do SPACs. And then that just kind of kills the use case for this kind of ETF. Well, so here's the thing, like a SPAC is just another way to go public. Right. Like IPO is the classic way to go public, yeah, right? No, so absolutely. If you want to do an IPO, you have to go to a bank. And, but all no, that no, and, and what I'll, so, I'll clarify so, that with is, is to say so that, that just, people have said that the SPAC trend is bringing a lot of companies that wouldn't have been public at this point. Yeah public right and so then maybe if that blows Absolutely. up then there's a, a you know people start avoiding SPACs so I think it's I don't think that'll happen because what happens is with any index right and, and I'm sort of like maybe exaggerating the uh, 
the example in comparison here, like if you have the S&P 500, right, it's like five stocks that actually move the thing upward yeah. that you're getting all the performance from, right? right? You probably have no idea what the last 20 names in the S&P 500 are, but I bet we can all name the top five. Yeah. With SPACs, it's the same thing. Like there are definitely going to be some dogs in the index. Without a doubt, some of these names are going to fail. They're going to flop. Nothing will happen. But what you're really looking for is that Virgin Galactic story. You know what I mean? You're looking for the DraftKings story, these triple digit performers that that move the index upwards, you know. So um, that's just part of investing in a particular benchmark or or index. You know, you're going to have dogs there. But I think if anything, like the more that, you know, you have more coming to market and a lot of these names are actually looking like they're going to be pretty successful. And, you know, the stories now are just like so hot and people want access to them. The other cool thing about this is like, you know, if you're Warren Buffett, right. And like you, and there's a name going IPO, you're getting that name at like 20 bucks. You're getting a huge allocation, but you and I, the investor waiting for the stock to hit the market and, and like seeing it take off on day one, going to like 400 bucks, like a snowflake or something like that. Like we're getting the same entry, we're getting a $400 entry point. He's getting a $20 entry point, right? But SPACs, it's not like that. Like there is no pre IPO allocation. It goes public via the SPAC vehicle and it democratizes essentially our ability to get access to that initial public offering of the company. Yeah. So in a way it's a good way to like give you even um, and, and like same access to new companies hitting the market. Okay. Yeah, I think you can make an argument because of the exact thing that you were saying that there are so many names in this that you're not really necessarily getting that or getting a lot of the benefit that you would get from that though, right? Yeah, I mean you're getting you're getting access to the most liquid SPACs and th those are really the ones that are essentially the most popular. So the performance on on this has just been stellar since inception because um, a lot of these names have done really well. Um, and I think like the SPACs that are coming to market now are really thoughtful, disruptive technologies. You know, I don't want to like overkill that word, but people are looking for access to things like the Airbnbs, the DoorDash, the Snowflake, the, you know, Planetary Technologies, the, the DraftKings, the Virgin Galactic that is in our SPAC. I mean, these are companies that are the future, right? Like what, what will be the next Apple, Microsoft and whatnot? It's these companies that are mm. basically, you know, digitalizing society so SPACs in various the sectors. Spack to the future. Spack to the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, you look at your yeah, question. Yeah, and it's something different, right? Yeah. It's something different, right? It's it's a good way to get access so, at the you know ground level to to a new company. Sylvia, if, if I understand, the spack basically is a way that basically it's it's like for the for the everyman to get in on the ground floor of a lot of these big companies, whereas historically, company yeah. IPOs, you, you're you have you have no access to it, I guess. Yeah, you have no you have no shot or, or else you're you know, you're kind of looking at it. And you're thinking to yourself again, like using Warren Buffett example, you know, Warren Buffett, the hedge funds and whatever. They paid 10 bucks to get in and you're paying 400 hours for the same exact thing around the same time. Like you lost. Right. You know I mean, you Take lost. maybe it'll go up. But right, right, right. You know so, what I mean? that's not it's not. It's well, not why why is the SPAC cheaper than an IPO? Because it's not going through a big bank. Is that why or? Oh, they are. Yeah, well, there's no, it's just a different way to list. So with IPOs, you have, you know, banks raising money, they do a roadshow, right. they, they can allocate pre IPO shares to certain investors and hedge funds and stuff like that before it goes public. And then there's like a certain amount of time that, you know, it, it's, it's listed before the average investor can get in with the SPAC, like you're just taking the company, it's a blank check company, you're taking it public. And then once it's listed, 
anyone can buy it on that day right. for the same price. Is there, so vetting, no is there, like, of, is there less vetting then? I mean, could, 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 there's less vetting. There's less requirements. Right. You know, that could um, be a bad thing. Yeah. Though, no, or yeah, it could. Sure, it could be a bad thing. It could be a bad thing in that, like, you don't have the same scrutiny on financial statements and things like that. But they, these are things that the company has to produce within, you know, a certain amount of time. And within two years, they have to do an acquisition, or else they're, you know, they're sort of out. They're out of the index. They're out of the ETF, mm. and they're they're off market. So yeah. you know, they do have to perform. Right. I want to talk about um, one but of the usually. Oh, sorry, you know, Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I want to talk about one of these potentially new disruptive technologies that you all are in. That's 5G. Uh, you guys have an ETF for 5G, FIVG is the ETF. Uh, that hasn't performed as well as the, the SPAC ETF. But talk to me about why you all are excited about that one. So, yeah, so Dion, that's probably one of our most popular ETFs. And I think that that's been... That it's really interesting, but the emergence of that w was was really, I think, propelled by COVID and the work from home trade because people and investors started thinking about like what's going on now. So all of these people are dislocated. You know, the the ten years of technology and advancement that we expected to see and transition to to create flexible workplaces got sped up and happened within a period of like three to five months, right? So we all of a sudden had this big reliance on microchip companies, you know, data processing, cloud, cybersecurity, mobile, um, and, and all of the names in an index like 5G are those types of stocks, like the NVIDIAs, the Xilinx, the Skyworks, the micro strategies and things like that. So um, I think it got a big, big push from the work from home trade because of this focus and need on advanced technology. So now 5G as an aside to that is basically the future of disruptive communications. And it's really the future of communications, right? So mm -hmm. like, if you look at the classic communications indices out there, they're invested in Facebook and Google. Right. We all have access to that in a million ETFs, right? This has access to mobile, to broadband, to cell phone towers. You know, I think UBS recently put out a note that like one of the things that they're bullish on in the next five years is access to cell towers because of 5G. You know, you're going to have this pickup and handsets and data, and you're going to need all these cell towers to pretty much support that. Um, mm. In China, 5G is an actual tangible thing. Like people have 5G. Right. They have yeah, we don't this, have it here, you know, though. Faster speed. Which I think we don't even really have. Yeah, which is right? interesting because you see these commercials for like AT&T and Verizon. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. 5G. Yeah. But I don't right, understand. Right, it's, but, but why is 5 I mean, again, this may be a stupid question, but. Is it just better than getting on Wi-Fi to get the same speed? I, I don't. What am I missing about? Like, what's the hullabaloo? You know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 sort of everything, right? So it's like it's it's faster downloads. It's the ability to you know be on the phone, download a video, share research, whatever it might be. It, it'll create this like shared digitalized economy where globally we can share information at you know fast speeds. It'll allow us to have you know, quicker access to data. It'll allow us to communicate more freely and quickly. Um, so it's all about just, just speed and improving communication. But this touches things like AI. It touches mm. things like providing, you know, the chips, the data, the memory for natural language processing, for, you know, research in the medical field, connecting various international hubs of, say, you know, cardiology research and, and, and creating like a central hub where the information is shared seamlessly across um, the various medical databases. It's 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 AI, machine learning. It's you know using your cell phone, using the Apple phone. You know the, the whole the last 
Apple, um, you know, performance, I, I forget what they call them, but like Tim Cook gets out on there, yeah. you know, presents the new products. The whole thing was 5G, every other word out of his mouth. Was Which like we don't 5G. have yet. <laughs> Which we don't phone. really have. Right, yeah, right, right. 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 But, but it's starting to come. And, and I think like the great thing about this ETF is it's giving you the access to the companies that are, are on the forefront of this you know, societal shift in technology mm. and communication and, okay. and it will happen. You know, you're getting in before it's a thing, right? Mm. So like think about 10 years from now, where we'll be with that. Okay. Uh, so any other pipe, any other ETFs in the pipeline for, for divergence that you can tell us about? Yeah, so so Defiance has um, a, a pretty new launch called IBBJ, which is a junior biotech ETF. So what's cool about that mm. is like you get access to these tiny companies that are, you know, 200 million to 5 billion in market cap. And oh, my God. They spent all of their money. Wait, on when did when did 5 billion yeah, become a like, tiny company? When did that happen? Yeah, well, tiny compared to the large. No, no, I know. I, I'm saying like compared like to the Pfizer big names, and, that is tiny. But like, when did that yeah. happen? Right, right. I, I, yeah, I mean, fair point, fair point. That's pretty much small cap world for biotechs. But what's cool about those companies is that, you know, they're not Pfizer, they're not Gilead, they're not spending all their money on like advertising and all this other stuff, like all the money gets pumped into R&D. And if they hit a phase one, phase two, phase three trial, they become takeover targets for like the Gileads and, and companies like that. So Immunomedics is a really good example. They got taken out by Gilead and like around that takeover time, that stock popped 300%. So if you look at this thing, it's just beta, but it's giving you access to the small companies that are coming up with, you know, Marathi, like cancer drugs or fate, which is investing in research for um, degenerative diseases and, and, you know, tissue regeneration, things like that. Like these are triple digit performing stocks mm. last year. And that ETF gives you access is, to that. So again, it's, it's disruption in the biotech. Yes, yeah, so this is the kind of thing that Dan should have bought instead of buying Gilead. Is what you're saying? Ah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're probably doing. You'll probably do all right with Gilead too, with all the, you know, the the, the backdrop there for like the aging population and the macro. Yeah, Dan, are you there? But are you doing I, all right now? Your biotechs get the. Fire. I'm, I'm scared to look. I think it's way down. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, and last question I want to I mean, ask there's, you. There's a good macro overdraw for that. Yeah. Last question I want to ask <laughs> sure, you, Sylvia, ahead. is just about the overall market. I mean. As, a, as an ETF uh, creator, an index creator, I'm sure you guys have to be watching the market. And, you know, given what happened last year, I think that's guided, at least, you know, when I look at the, the SPAC and what you guys are doing in, in terms of future technologies, uh, that space. How are you feeling about the market right now and about the environment for ETFs in the future and just about investing in the future? Yeah, so I think that I'm I'm more excited than I've ever been. Um, I've been in the ETF space for about ten years, and um, you know I, I I worked as a trader on a derivatives desk before that. So I've been heavily involved in the markets for most of my career, and you know watched them all day every day. So I'm more excited about the markets than ever now. And the reason why is because we're seeing this generational shift. And I think that again, part of it started with COVID, but. You know, in March, April, May, June, we saw millions and millions of new accounts open up for millennials, Gen Z. You know, my young nephew who's in college now is, is texting me every day about which stock to buy, <laughs> right. Tesla, 5G, whatever it is. And I just think that there's this massive group of, of people that are interested in the market, which 
opens up these opportunities to create these, you know, again, access to, to the next generation of sectors or access to great thematic trades. So ETF issuers have a real sweet spot now to come up with really cool ideas and, you know, target that generation of retail clients, which is basically the biggest group of people who are trading ETFs. Um, secondly, I think that, you know, the COVID vaccine is here. We need people to take it. We need to see that, you know, it got to get our distribution numbers up and that enough doses. Yeah. yeah. Get the distribution numbers up. Right. There's a new president. The market seemed pretty happy about that. You know, the, the, we'll see what happens with this Georgia runoff. I mean, it's, it's still pretty, pretty split Washington, regardless of what happens. So I think the market's like sort of okay with it. So I think, you know, we get people back to work. We, we, we open up again, we see growth in the service sector, we see recovery in small caps, and I think that leads us to positive GDP. So the market overall should hopefully start to, you know, rebound and do well in the latter half of the year. And then just as far as your, you know, your question for ETF issuers, there are just so many opportunities now to come out with pro- the products of the future, you know, that 60 trillion of wealth that's sitting with our parents, you know, our parents, our grandparents, even us to some degree, you know, it's going to transfer to the young millennials, the Gen Z, you know, the group that comes after them. And we're going to be here, you know, the people who are coming up with these innovative ideas, like they're going to be the new sectors of the future. So I think it's a super exciting time. We'll be the old school artists, as they say. Yeah, we'll be the old school. Yeah, yeah, yep. Sylvia Jablonski. (laughs) They'll be like, what's 5G? We're on 7G. 7G. Uh, <laughs> like what was 5G? Is that like yeah. a, a landline? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Sylvia, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, Dion. Dan, thanks for having me. All right, so that was our uh, our interview with Sylvia Jablonski, CIO of Defiance ETFs, um, and I think she she broke down the the ETF trade or the you know what Defiance is doing on ETFs that's different and new and exciting and. You know, if you really, if you want to invest in 5G, I think that's what's really cool is a lot of this stuff that you would have had to have hundreds of millions of dollars or be a private equity investor or a high net worth individual, now you can invest in. It's still not perfect. There are still, you know, you're not making anywhere near as much money as you would be if you were one of those people. But at least now there's access to these kinds of things. Um and SPACs, I think, are interesting, too, because, you know, you can just get in on the ground floor. You don't know what you're getting into, but you right. can get in. That, that, that's why they call it the blank check company. Yeah, 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 because you're just writing them a blank check. You're like, oh, here you go. Take my money <laughs> and do something cool with it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of hard to lose at this point, right? Like, what's what's not winning? What's not right winning, now? yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. If you're not winning, you're losing. All right, so we're going to get into our uh, our picks for our predict predictions for 2021. Uh, Dan, I want you to kick it off. What is your first prediction for what we're going to see in 2021? I think Bitcoin is going to tank. I hope it does. I really hope it does. <laughs> Why are you rooting against Bitcoin? Because it just keeps going up and you see the numbers are crazy. Again, something I don't fully understand. You know, I just... I, I'm not on board. I don't know. It's it's become a thing. So you're just a hater, is what is what it is. I'm you're a just hater. a hater. I'm skeptic. I'm a hater. Who knows? Maybe I'll watch you're it a hater. in years. I'll be mortified as we pay for everything with, you know, Bitcoin. But it's just, I don't know. It's very. I I don't think we're ever gonna pay for everything with Bitcoin. I think that's a pipe dream because the price fluctuates too much. Right. It's like if if you opened your checking account, you know, like if I open my checking account right now and I had two hundred dollars. And then tomorrow when I open my checking account, 
I have negative seventy dollars. Yeah, that would. Not I'm be- gonna be really upset. That's gonna really good. mess with my plans. Right. You right. know, or like if the rent's due and I have five thousand dollars, and then I go to pay it and I have only three thousand dollars. That's going to be a problem for me. So I don't think we'll ever actually pay for things in Bitcoin because of the price fluctuations. But I do think that, like, I don't know. I, I, I've i been asked about Bitcoin so much by literally every person I know. And they're like, oh, should I get into it? And I'm like, look, I'm not interested in it because I don't really get the case for it. But I understand why you are. I got a rant I'm going to go on at the end of this that Ooh, particularly concerns Bitcoin. But I'll just say I actually don't disagree with you. I think it, it is going to drop by a lot. But I also think it's going to bounce back because I think everyone's just on board with it. And everyone's buying the dips. And I think we're going to have a lot of volatility in the markets this year. And I think we're going to have a lot of volatility in the real economy as well. And that's going to push more people towards Bitcoin. Um, so that actually, let's see, this is my, my first prediction for 2021 is that Congress is going to investigate Fed Chair Jerome Powell um, and bring him before the House and the Senate and tar and feather him for inequality and bailing out corporations and letting Main Street sit out to dry or hang out to dry. That is my prediction wow, for what we'll see in 21. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen because like the Republicans need someone to blame and Trump is going to be banging on them from all angles. And I think Powell presents a nice, easy boogeyman and people don't understand what the Fed does. The mm. Fed is already unpopular and they really have contributed significantly to this income inequality and wealth inequality that we see. And so I think the Republicans, they've already started and I think that's what they're going to do mm, this year. Well, my, my next prediction is I think the market is going to continue to go up just because, but, but tying into my third prediction, things aren't really going to look much different than they looked in 2020, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, the stock market's still going to rise, which doesn't really you know, make any sense. Why do you think the stock market is going to continue to rise? I just think that like something about it, I don't know, like, like you know, unlimited money printing, you know, basically more of what we've seen before where, where people are just going to think, hey, this can't get any lower. Let's buy, buy, buy. And like we've talked about on the show and like our guests talked about, you know, people have time on their hands now to maybe get into investing and you see all these Robin Hood type companies kind of springing up and that seems to be only, you know, going up. You know, I mean, I, I opened yeah. an account a few months ago. I mean, it's it's easy. I mean, it's so compared to how it was, it's just like the barrier to entry is, is getting less and less, it seems like, you know. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, let's see, what I, I guess my boss, Mike Allen, talked to the CEO of Goldman Sachs yesterday. And he said actually a lot of what you said, uh, just basically he's a little worried about the stock market because of all the ebullience was the word that he used. But just basically all the retail traders getting in, everyone getting in. And I think, again, this makes sense because people feel like they missed out on the rally that happened from 2009 to 2020. Yeah. And I think that's also part of what what's pushing Bitcoin so much higher. So I think it's interesting you think Bitcoin is going to fall, but the stock market is going to rise because it, it seems to me like two sides of the same coin. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, well, I, I think Bitcoin will be hacked again. How about that? that that's <laughs> Bitcoin will be hacked. All right. Right, right. So that leads me to my second prediction. I think I think gold, silver, copper, materials, precious metals are going to have an incredible year because I think People are gonna, some people are going to like Bitcoin and I think that'll do well, but I think it's going to crash and that's going to push people into gold and silver and copper and things like that, these traditional stores of value as the real economy is eroding and deteriorating around them and the stock market is going higher. 
And people just don't trust this rally in stocks. Like, as we said, I've been writing about this over and over in the newsletter. And like, people are going into bonds, they're still in money market funds, which are basically savings accounts. The savings rate is the highest it's been since 1981. Like, not even just the 1980s, but like 1981. Um, because people are just so untrusting of the stock market right now. Like everyone should be in stocks and buying houses right now, but they're not, they're in savings accounts and they're in bonds because they just don't trust it. And I think that's going to be huge for gold and silver and the rest of these precious metals in 2021. Okay. I like that. What's your, what's your third and final prediction, Dan? Oh, I tied into my second one about things aren't going to be much different in 2021 than they were in 2020, as much as I'd you know, as far as like things bouncing back and stuff like that, I think New York's still going to, at least where I live, is still going to be lar- by and large a, you know, pretty desolate place, unfortunately, I think, yeah, at least for the first mm. half, you know. So the vaccine's not going to fix everything? I, I wanted it to, you know, I'm delusional in that regard. I keep waiting, 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 but, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because everyone talks about how deadly COVID is and stuff, and you'd think there'd be lines around the block for people to take the shot, but much in the same way that people may not trust the stock market, I feel like People aren't just rushing out to do the vaccine like I, I, I would have thought. They, I mean, I'll, I'll take it tomorrow if I'm allowed to, you know, but. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, you're not. You're not allowed to. Not allowed. No, I think there was a New York Times thing where you put on your age and, you know, everything. And I think I'm like uh, like 80, 81 million in line or something or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, long, yeah long I know a few friends. We'll get it. I have, I have a few friends who have gotten it so far. So I'm interested to see what kind of things they're going through or yeah. dealing with. Apparently the second one is the one where you don't feel so great based on what I've been told. I had a friend in the trial. Ah, okay. Yeah. I don't know anyone that's gotten the second one. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the first one apparently is fine, but the second one is the one where you don't you may not feel so great. But Interesting. All right. My aunt just got it and she was talking to me about it. Ooh, yeah. Anyway, um, my third prediction for the year is that we start to see China's dominance on the global stage really, you know, come to fruition. Like it's been happening kind of covertly. And I think 2021 is the year when we really start to see it, like where we start to see like, oh, wait, what? And I think the pandemic and the fact that we still won't have it under control, like you say, and the fact that they do have it under control and they're going to be pushing really aggressively to supplant the U.S. as the global superpower. And I think 2021 is the year when people really start to see like, wait, oh, oh, man, what's going on over there? They are really kicking our ass. That, that is That's a very prediction. interesting prediction, and I'm very curious if that pans out because I don't know what to believe with the news coming out of there. Because, like, you know, you saw there was a Wuhan New Year celebration. There was, like, all mm-hmm. this footage of it, but then a lot of people have called in a question if it was actually real. Like, so I – because, like, I have a friend, like, one of my great friends was a, an, an expat over there for, like, 10 years. And he was mm-hmm. kicked out, you know, when his tourist – you know, they revoked all the tourist visas. So he's now back in the States, and he keeps in touch with people over there. And – he says it's fully open, but again, you don't know what to believe. Also, where is Jack Ma? Right? That's the other thing. <laughs> where is Jack Ma? Yeah, no, I mean like t-shirts. I don't think it's I don't think it's just we should make t-shirts. Yeah, put put a little Jack market Ma? banter logo on the top. Where is yeah. Jack Ma? No, look, it's not just the pandemic. I think my my colleague at Axios, uh, Bethany, who writes our Axios China newsletter, she was saying it's like when you're running cross country, when you're doing distance running. The place that you catch someone is when they're going up a big hill and they're struggling and they're starting to slow down. And that's when you speed up and, and you and you pass them and then you just pass them for good because once you've beaten them up the hill, you're there and that's it. And I think that's sort of what this COVID thing is. China's been coming for us and they've been gaining on us for a while. And I think with 
COVID and the way they've handled it versus the way we've handled it, but just also a lot of other things. They're going to start to assert global supremacy, and you're really going to start to see it um, play out, and it's going to become very obvious to people. And like mm. I said, it's not just COVID, but like financial markets, you look at what they're doing with digital currencies, like they're already paying for stuff without money. They've already basically established a cashless society, um, and we're still, you know, arguing over pretty basic stuff. Right. So I just I think this is the year that the world and not just like nerds like myself start to realize what's happening with China. Right. Yeah, I'm, that, that's actually a very curious prediction. I'm curious to see, you know, uh, you know how that shakes out. Apparently, the yeah. WeChat translator is amazing. I've never used it, but my friend swears by it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So anyway, just I want to close on this note um, yeah. about. Bitcoin and about everything that we've talked about and and also just this crazy rally at the Capitol with the Trump supporters that we've seen and, you know, trying to get them to decertify the vote and not believing that the election was legitimate. I think this all gets back to the inequality that's been created uh, via central banks and the money printing and all that because people realize that something's not right and they can't put their finger on what because most of them don't understand finance, they don't understand financial markets, and they don't understand it, even how money printing or quantitative easing or any of that stuff works, but they understand that what's happening is not fair. And for the people that support Donald Trump, they express that by storming the Capitol with their guns and their Trump flags and, and trying to stop an election they think was stolen and, and that sort of thing. And for crypto people, they express that through buying Bitcoin and this, you know, this instrument that's outside of the financial markets. It's not controlled by big tech. It's not controlled by the government. It's not controlled by the Fed. But I think a lot of the lack of trust that we're seeing in institutions and in governments and in some of these things that are supposed to really hold the fabric of society together, it's coming from this inequality. It's coming from well, the fact the whole, that people see. The whole point of Bitcoin is that it's there's no institution, right? It's not like the exactly. Whole point. Yeah, right. Exactly, and I think that's part of why it's so popular at this particular moment in time. Is just because people don't trust. They don't trust that the things that are supposed to work for them, that are supposed to look out for them, are doing that because they see, you know, Jeff Bezos, and they see, you know, hedge fund manager X, you know, making billions of dollars and. They see all this money and this wealth that's being created all around them that they're not getting any part of, and they're angry and they don't know who to blame or how it happened or why it happened, but they're mad. And so you get a guy like Trump who comes out and says, yeah, I'm going to drain the swamp and I'm going to fix everything. And even though he hasn't actually fixed anything and things have actually gotten much worse on his watch, people want him to stay and they feel like if he lost the election, it must be because it was stolen. I feel like it's the same thing in Bitcoin. I feel like it's the same thing with any number of things that you look at right now. I think a lot of that is an outgrowth of the inequality and just the crazy amount of money that's been hoarded by the wealthy, by corporations, right. by financiers, um, and, and the way that that's happened. And I just think there's no plan to do anything about that at all. And that's a huge problem. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. All right, anyway, rant over. That's all I had to say. Uh, thanks to the audience for tuning in for, with us for Market Banter. Dan, you got any, any parting thoughts? This is one of the best ones we ever did. <laughs> this is the best one. Not it's one the of us, the we best. Ever did. That's right. It's the absolute best show ever. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're lucky. We're all the bases, man. ETFs, Bitcoin, SPAC. We, you know, we really go, you know, we really, yeah. uh, I mean, what could we say that hasn't already been said? 
what could we say? And we yeah. and I got to take a shot at the Fed for exacerbating ridiculous income inequality and wealth inequality. There so, you go, man. You you go. Went, went, we went ham. You went ham. <laughs> I I always go ham. Anyway, thanks for joining us on Market Banter. Come back. We'll be here again next week.